Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Sal Capaccio. Filling up right behind the Bills bench right now with their flags and their hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 let's go Buffalo Chan. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Well, the Bills are uh, making a lot of people shout this offseason with some of the moves that they made, but we're going to talk with Al Zeidenfeld here in a minute about how maybe those moves would translate into fantasy football. The Bills typically the last few years did not have like, you know, big fantasy players, the Maybe, you know, John Brown had a nice fantasy year last year, but going in to the last several years, you weren't like, I got to get this Buffalo Bill or that Buffalo Bill. So now with Stefan Diggs, what Devin Singletary did last year, and of course, Josh Allen has been one of the better, you know, quarterbacks in the league with his rushing ability adding in as far as his, um, you know, fantasy value. So we'll talk with Al about that uh, in just a moment. I do want to give everybody a heads up just so you know. Um, the Porter Cup has unfortunately been canceled for this year. Uh, Brian Colziel has the details through a press release on his Twitter account, and it's the first time since 1959 there will not be a men's Porter Cup golf tournament at Niagara Falls Country Club this year. Uh, it's a very sad day, said Dina Armstrong, who's been involved with the tournament since 1973, and I can agree. I, I go every year to the Porter Cup Media Day. Uh, they allow us to play the course out there. It's one of the best amateur tournaments in the entire country. Um, it's going to be, it's sad not to see this being played this year. I understand why I think we all do, but it's, um, another, it's another casualty of the pandemic that's going on. So uh, you can find that information at Brian Colziel's Twitter page. Joining me right now on the West Her hotline is my Syracuse university buddy and intramural rival, Al Zeidenfeld, who also is a now fantasy contributor and podcaster. He's pretty big in the industry, by the way, uh, ESPN plus a lot of other places you can find him. As well, it is only nine o'clock where you live, out in California. What what's going on today out there? Not much. Kids are uh, off with the wife at at quote school right now. I've got some research to do. I'm probably going to do a best ball draft later today. But uh, you know, life goes on. We get older, but intramural rivalries they never die. <laughs> you know who I had on a, a little while ago, and I, I had no idea. I did no idea that like he was doing what he did. And I saw. Remember Gar? He's the batting stance guy. Yeah, he's the batting stance dude. Yeah, it's amazing. Like you, like we went to college with this guy, and I'm like bumping around the internet one day. I'm like, dude, I went to Syracuse with this guy, and he's like world famous. He's on Letterman doing batting stances, yep. and I had him on the radio like a couple of years ago. Now I should actually reach out to him again. But isn't that amazing? How you know, just life, right, Al? Like how you never know. Like what you're doing. I think it's so cool that you've taken something that we did as friends in college, and you've made a career out of it. Look, man, life comes at you in a lot of different ways nowadays. Uh, a lot of people ask me, how can I break into the industry? I want to do fantasy football stuff, or I want to do something close to what you do. I'm like, there's never been a time that it's easier 
for you to do it. There's so many outlets, YouTube, Twitch, you can post your own podcast, Twitter, all these different mediums for you to put yourself out there, Instagram, Instagram Live. The, the best way to break in, start doing stuff. Just do it. That's right. Build an audience. I, I say the same thing. That I, I talk to a lot of kids who want to get in this field, and I say you need reps. Do reps. I said, just mm-hmm. go create a podcast somewhere. Even if you don't yep. actually publish it, put it, for, give it, let somebody listen to it, a friend, a family member, but put it out there. And if you like it and you want people to listen to it, like just go record yourself, go to a game, take a recorder and do play by play in the stands. Like there's always ways that you can do that. Of course. All right. It's never been easier to build an audience in 2020. Now, I, I also, I tried your um, your trick. I saw you, you had a video where you did the trick, and I, I'd seen some other people doing this, but you had the orange <laughs> under the cup, and your your kids were freaked out because you, you, you lifted up the cup, and there wasn't the orange there, and the way you're doing it was squeezing the cup. So I did it on my six-year-old son, Max, and at first he's like, wow, and then literally 10 seconds later he's like, yeah, let me look under the cup, Dad. Yeah, let me see. I mean, come on. <laughs> Let me see what's going on. Right, He knew. He knew right away, right? <laughs> we all got to keep everybody entertained as much as we can during this pandemic. I totally want to talk fantasy football. We're going to do that. But do you it. are a big NBA fan as well. And um, mm-hmm. what, what would you like to see? You're a big Lakers fan, I know. What would you like to see come out of you know what's happening here as far as how they resume, if they resume, when they resume? Uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm in no position to, to make – assumptions of what they should do in terms of staying healthy. I just know that it's a big task. Obviously, they're going to have to test Mm -hmm. guys every day when they come into the arena. There's talk about bubbling these dudes. Basically, they are going to be sequestered from their families and their friends and everything uh, for a couple of months. It's going to be a task, but uh, I would love to watch basketball games again as long as everybody is in a healthy environment, let's say, right? Right. and I know that a lot of the players want to get back to it, too. Uh, same goes for MLB. Same goes for NFL. Uh, there's always going to be some people on both sides of the fence, some guys that are chomping at the bit to get back at it and some guys that are being a little bit more cautious. But, you know, what can you say? We all love sports. We want to see it. Uh, we want to see sports on our TV again. But at the same time, uh, these guys are people with families and, and kids and wives, and we've got to hope for the best for them as well. Right? You, They've got to take their own. They got to put yeah. their own lives before our entertainment. There's no doubt, and you know, there's going to be no matter what. I I predict, Al, that no matter what they do, there's going to be some players in these sports who say, "I'm just not doing it. I I don't feel comfortable," yeah. and that's their right. It, it is what it is, right? Like <laughs> you, you kind of have to respect whatever their decision right. is, and like it, it's hard to compare things, right? Because there's always those arguments going to go around. You're refusing to play because you're only going to get 20% of your salary, right. but that's 20 times what a teacher is going to make, and they're equally important. It's like these are impossible conversations to have. No uh, doubt. So, like, it's a very personal conversation for the athletes. Uh, and I have a couple friends that play in, the, in Major League Baseball. Uh, I also, one of my mentors is one of the owners of one of the Major League teams, one of the, you know, he's one of the partners on a, on a team's ownership committee. Mm-hmm. So, like, so I see both sides of it, and it's, it's rough on both sides. Now, you and I were at Syracuse as we bridged the Bulls dynasty, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. You were there for at least one of their titles, and I think maybe rolling into their last, uh, their last uh, when the second part of the dynasty started. The last dance. Did you watch it? And, you know, what were your overall just general impressions of remembering that time well, th- through, through the last dance? I mean, for me, it was special. Because watching The Last Dance, obviously the nostalgia of it, and just going back and seeing things and remembering where you were when things happened. Obviously, the playoffs in the NBA are happening when you're out of school. Syracuse always ends like the first week of May, so the playoffs run through the end of June. 
uh, I'm back in Los Angeles in college when those things were happening. But for me, the special part was introducing my, my kids, who are 8 and 10 years mm-hmm. old, to Michael Jordan, right? Like, they had never seen him. They've seen shoes. They've seen the little Jumpman logo. They've got shirts or whatever. But they had never seen the guy play outside of me showing them YouTube videos here or there as long as their attention span could last, right? So for them to sit down, and they actually sat there and watched the entire documentary with me, they thought it was amazing. Like, wow, this guy was really good, Dad. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, to the point where I was like, look, you see his shoes? And I paused, and I went upstairs to my closet. I still have all my Jordans. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, here, here's the shoes he's wearing in this clip. They're like, whoa. It's amazing, so, right? introducing them to Jordan culture and what I kind of grew up with in my 20s, you know, it, it, it gave us a little bit of a connection that, that I never had with them before about this topic. What about, who, who do your kids like now? Are they NBA fans? Are they Lakers fans? And like, who are they, who do they gravitate to as far as, you know, individuals? They like watching the NBA. I wouldn't say that they're NBA fans. They're more baseball fans than mm. anything, which is striking because I was a basketball coach for like 10 years. Right. I'd love for them to play basketball, but like they, they're good at baseball and soccer, and so I, I follow them wherever they want to lead in terms of their sports. But they like players more than teams, yes. which I guess is an influence of me since I've been a fantasy guy. That's kind of where I've gone. I don't really root for laundry anymore. Interesting, right. I like to watch players, and I enjoy watching the great players play. And I, I hate to feel like I'm walled off from enjoying somebody's greatness in athleticism because they wear the wrong set of laundry. But know? didn't that start kind of because even maybe people our age, like um, through free agency, one, you know, well, while we were growing up is when free agency really came into effect in a lot of these sports, right? Um, yeah. And we saw a lot of the movement. And I, I would say, Al, that that kind of started becoming a thing when we were a bit younger. And I remember people older than me saying, well, it's, it's hard to root for teams these days. You only see people rooting for players because teams don't stay together anymore. Yeah, and I think fantasy had the biggest impact on that, yep. to be honest with you, because you can't, you know, you're, you're in Buffalo. You've always been a Buffalo fan. And so if you're drafting a fantasy football team, you can't just draft Bills outside of that Super Bowl run they had when we were you know, in <laughs> right, college, right? right? Like, where you're oh, yeah, I'm going to take Andre Reid, I'm going to take Thurman Thomas, I'm going to take uh, the quarterback, I'm going to take all these players from this team because they're all fantasy studs. You can't really do that with any team in any era, right? So you end up rooting for these guys because they're, quote, my guys. These are my guys, right? And you have a tighter grasp or a tighter relationship as a fan with those players, especially in dynasty leagues or keeper leagues, than maybe you even do for your hometown team. It's a different relationship individually with these players than you would have with your team. All right, well, that's a good launching point into some things that uh, we can talk about here coming up with fantasy football this year. Al Zeidenfeld, you can follow him on Twitter, at Al Zeidenfeld or Al Smizzle. He is uh, a Twitch streamer, ESPN Plus fantasy contributor and podcaster, does a great job in the industry. Um, Let's talk about this year. Let's start with the Bills. And I think one of the intriguing things that we're trying to figure out here Mm -hmm. is what's going to happen in the backfield. Devin Singletary had a really nice rookie season. Frank Gore was there. He was kind of the guy until it phased him out. And now they have Zach Moss who comes in and he's kind of a Frank Gore light, if you will, with his running style and things like that. Is it as simple as they're just going to carry, they're just going to split the backfield and we should treat them like that in fantasy football? How would we go about trying to decipher this? I mean, 
so many teams want to go with a running back by committee nowadays because it makes the most sense, right? You just you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. You keep these guys fresh. Uh, you shuttle them in and out based on uh, whatever package you're running or whatever down in situation you have. I think Singletary is obviously going to be the lead guy. Uh, Moss is going to be the secondary guy. And whether that's a 60-40 split, 60% of the touches is enough to be fantasy viable. But obviously, uh, you're not going to invest as much draft capital, whether it's in an auction or in a draft, in Devin Singletary now as you would have before the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't draft like you and me, Sal. You know, we're doing best ball drafts and things all during the offseason. Mm-hmm. So Devin Singletary's average draft position, his ADP, has fallen from before the draft, he was like the 33rd pick, which is a late third-round pick, to now 42. He's fallen a complete round, basically. Uh, so you're talking about now it's kind of priced in, right? So that value is a little bit priced into Zach Moss being there. But Zach Moss's ADP is only around 121. So that gap between Singletary and Moss is pretty vast right now. And the better value for fantasy, even though he's not going to get uh, the most bites at the apple, so to speak, at least not at the beginning of the season and without an injury, is Moss at an average draft position of 121 overall. Uh, so there is value there if you're going with sort of a zero running back sort of a player. You're drafting as your fourth or fifth running back to stash in case of an injury. Now, when you talk about 60-40 split, I'm interested. Like, throughout the last whatever years, we can go back. I mean, back in the day, there were these bell cow backs, right? Guys who carried the yeah. ball 300 times. We don't really see that. I mean, yeah, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley, maybe they are exceptions. I don't know. You can tell me. But what is the average split now uh, uh, around the league? Are, is 60-40 like, hey, you see that a lot? Or is that really even less than what you, you – do you see teams mostly going with a, a 70-30? Like, what is the general consensus in the league? Okay, so like the way that I kind of have my sheet broken down, at least for now, and I just got my running back sheet done like a few days ago, actually. Um, I look at, obviously, the percentage of running back snaps that a team gives to a player, and I break it down on weeks that they're healthy, right? Because obviously, if somebody gets hurt, they're going to see less snaps that week, and I don't want that clouding my, my judgment, right? So I want to see their carries that they get, percentage of carries, their percentage of catches, for the running backs on that team, and then overall, they're just their percentage of the team touches. So Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette were the only two running backs with over 90% of their team's touches at the position last year. There were only two other backs with over 80%. That was Saquon Barkley when he was healthy, and Kenyon Drake when he went to Arizona. Wow. The bulk of the backs sit in the 60 to 75% range uh, of their team's touches. And there's some names that you think about in that range in weeks that they're healthy, uh, as being bell cow backs, but they're really not seeing as many as you would think you know, that they did before. Chris Carson, who saw a ton of work last year, saw 72% of the team's total running back touches. Nick Chubb, 74% of the team's total running back touches. Uh, Joe Mixon, somebody who a lot of people are drafting this year based on his projected volume, he's all the way up at 79%. Derrick Henry, 82.5%. But a lot of these other, these other dudes, you know, carry on Johnson on the weeks that he was healthy, 56%. Melvin Gordon, the weeks that he was healthy, 55%. So there, there is definitely a change, right? There's a, there's a big difference in the way that teams are mm-hmm. utilizing their collective backfields. And, and in Buffalo, I think you have to have a third back in here that you have to think about, and that's Josh Allen, of course, because 100%. 17 touchdowns rushing mm-hmm. – 
in his two years, how much does this entire situation impact how we feel about him in fantasy where he gets a lot of those points from his rushing touchdowns? And that's, I think that affects the running back values for Singletary and Moss more than it does for Allen. Because Allen's going to vulture them more than they're going to vulture Allen. Right? Allen's going to get his passing touchdowns, uh, especially this year, in my opinion, because how much they've beefed up the, the pass-catching core. Mm-hmm. Yep. Stephon Diggs is uh, a big boon for the, the passing game. But his value on the ground with his legs, as many yards as he picks up, as many fantasy points as he accrues uh, on the ground via touchdowns or just racking up yardage, makes him extremely, extremely palatable. And he's jumped. So, like, his uh, price right now is the quarterback seven in drafts that have happened, real money drafts that have already happened. Uh, He's the seventh quarterback off the board. I think that's fair. I've heard rumors that people thought he'd be as high as a quarterback four taken or quarterback five taken. Right now he's going around the 90th pick overall. Again, I think that price is fair. That's about where Kyler Murray was going at this time last year after he was selected by the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I don't think that it's egregious. And if you want to go get him, fine. Knowing that we're talking to a Buffalo audience here and in friends and family leagues, (laughs) there's going to be people that are going to overdraft Josh Allen. And I would always suggest against overdrafting any quarterback because there's so much value. There's so much depth. At the, running, or at the quarterback, and now this year, especially the wide receiver position, uh, that I don't think you need to overpay to get the one guy you want. So like, I would suggest against overdrafting Josh Allen. If you get him in a value, mm-hmm. great. Uh, if you're protecting him in a keeper league and you're getting him in a value versus his average draft position, outstanding. But I'm not going to go after him in, let's say, the, the fifth round or the sixth round. That's, just, that's not how I suggest. That's not what I'm going to do. It's not what I suggest anybody else does. You mentioned it. Stefan Diggs gets inserted into this offense. That has an impact, an impact on Josh, of course. Of course, Diggs himself and John Brown had a nice fantasy year last year. Had a nice season. 72 catches, over 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. How is the fantasy community viewing the insertion of Diggs as far as him, Brown, and Allen? I think it helps Allen more than it helps Diggs. Now, Diggs is going from a similar situation in Minnesota uh, in terms of team scheme, right? Like Minnesota did not throw it a ton last year. Buffalo actually threw it a little bit more than they did, not that much. I think that his numbers are kind of going to float around the same mark. I think that it hurts John Brown because he's not going to be the wide receiver one in terms of uh, market share of targets anymore. So volume is key, right? Now, talent can get you onto the field, but opportunity is what really fuels fantasy numbers. So you can give me a player that's on a different team that's got a ton more talent but they're not feeding him the ball as much as they're feeding somebody else the ball who's less talented. Uh, I'll take the guy getting the more volume all day over the more talented player. So Steph Diggs uh, right now is being drafted as like the wide receiver 22. He's going about 65th uh, in terms of ADP. He's right around guys like Keenan Allen, uh, DJ Chark, Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods. Uh, He kind of is what he is. I don't see the massive upside for fantasy in Steph Diggs. I think that in terms of on-field NFL, he's a tremendous ad. Uh, in terms of maybe helping uh, Josh Allen move along and progress, I think he's a tremendous ad for the team in terms of converting wins on the field. But in terms of your fantasy team, I'd actually prefer guys that are being drafted 
a few picks later at that position, like Terry McLaurin uh, for Washington. I think his volume is going to increase. I think he takes a leap this year. Somebody like Debo Samuel, who's impossible to take down once he gets the ball in his hands, uh, is another player that I'm a little bit more intrigued by in there. Right now, below Steph Diggs, it's the 22nd wide receiver being taken. They're like the 25th and 27th wide receivers being taken. Uh, so I'm probably going to pass on Steph Diggs for fantasy, but I think he's a fantastic ad for the Bills on the field. All right, so this year's running back class, it, very talented, but it doesn't look like any of them are in a really great situation as far as what you said, volume, right? I mean, Clyde mm-hmm. Edwards-Hilaire is maybe the guy, but they throw the ball so much in Kansas City. I'm not even sure if that is going to you know, give him all that opportunity. But you look down the list, all these guys are in situations where kind of what we talked about, right? I mean, what, what do you, how do you see this running back class and who might emerge as the guy getting the opportunities? I mean, it may not happen in week one is really the thing. So a lot right. of these guys are going to be stash and hold players, and it's hard to do that uh, with Edward Solaire at his you know, second-round ADP right now. He's the 19th overall uh, pick going right now in drafts. Like, I'd rather speculate on somebody later like DeAndre Swift for Detroit in the hopes that he takes over the reins in, in that job and he's being drafted as the 26th running back, Keyshawn Vaughn for Tampa Bay, the 30th running back, uh, and maybe a little bit more of a deep sleeper, Antonio Gibson in Washington as the 49th running back overall. That's where you kind of want to speculate on rookie running backs this year, uh, at least in my opinion, because you don't want to spend that much draft capital when there's such a variance between their possible floor like maybe they get 100 touches this year, mm-hmm. or their ceiling where maybe they get 275. Yeah, I totally get that. And what about the wide receivers on the same note? Uh, is there anybody that, uh, in a historic, talented wide receiver class, both talent in the top and deep, who has, who's in the best situation, a guy you say, hey, you know what, he could really wind up being a fantasy boom this year? To me, it's CeeDee Lamb, uh, and I, I don't think it's particularly close. Now, is he going to be the number one wide receiver on his team? No, but he doesn't have to be the number one wide receiver on his team in order to get some volume. Because you look at the guys that have uh, left that team in front of him, right? So Dak's a good quarterback. I'll leave the Internet to have that conversation uh, in and of itself. But he's, he's, a, he's a good quarterback, especially for fantasy. Mm-hmm. They still have Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup on the outside. Gallup, who took a big leap last year, getting about 18.5% of the targets on that team. They lost Jason Witten and Randall Cobb. Now, between those two guys, you're talking about 29-plus percent of Dak's targets were going to those two guys. They're going to be replaced by Blake Jarwin, who got a big pay raise this year. He's going to jump into that Witten role, get about 14.5-15% of the targets. And CeeDee Lamb's going to play in the slot. And if you're talking about athleticism, if you're talking about uh, 1v1 Cobb at this point in his career versus CeeDee Lamb at this point in his career, CeeDee Lamb's going to be a lot more efficient than Randall Cobb was last year. He's not going to draw a lot of coverage. It's hard to do that in the slot anyway. All the attention is going to have to be paid on the two outside guys, Gallup and Cooper, which is going to leave CeeDee Lamb running free along the inside to do basically whatever he wants, and they're going to get the ball in his hands, and he's going to make some big plays this year. So I don't think that the volume is going to be tremendous. You're not going to look at 20 or 25% of the targets, but he's got some really big playability. Uh, He's stepping into a starting role on a team that runs three wide a lot. Uh, and I really like his opportunity. I really like his situation. There's enough volume to to make it worthwhile. And his draft price really is not all that high. He's the 37th wide receiver being taken right now. Mm. So you're drafting him as either a low-end wide receiver three or a high-end wide receiver four, especially if somebody's sleeping in your draft uh, or if some owners are sleeping in your draft. He would be my favorite rookie wide receiver right now. 
He's also a run after catch monster, and if he's in the slot, mm-hmm. he's going to have opportunity to do that. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Al Zeidenfeld joining me here on the Western Hotline. Just a couple of minutes to wrap up with him. Let's um, look at guy. Let's look at last year and project to this year. Is there anybody that kind of didn't have the year last year? Maybe they were expected to, but maybe this year they're in a better spot. I'm thinking could could be a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who obviously just tailed off last year from what he was. Somebody that you identify that you know what people have soured on him, but maybe you should be higher on him again this year. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the Jets like. Okay, I think there's a difference. I think that the Jets' front office likes Le'Veon Bell. I don't think the coaches like Le'Veon Bell. I agree. Bell. I agree. So, from a fantasy perspective, if the coaches aren't going to put him on the field, you can't score fantasy points mm-hmm. when you're holding your helmet, right? That's so right. Like, this is a, this is a big issue for me. Uh, for me, it's the most obvious one of all is Ben Roethlisberger. He just got a haircut, right? Because he finally <laughs> threw a pass to right. one of his wide receivers. Yeah. He is being drafted as the quarterback 18. And he's got a lot of great targets for him to throw to there between uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson, who's one of my biggest sleepers. And, and not mine, let's not say that. He's right, basically sure. fantasy football you agree with favorite it, yes. sleeper right now. Like yeah. I'm totally on board with that, uh, being drafted as the 41st wide receiver right now on the board uh, and starting with a returning quarterback. And everybody's, everybody tends to judge, the public, let's say, the public tends to judge uh, – players and teams and offenses by how they performed last year. You cannot judge the Pittsburgh offense in 2020 for what it was in 2019 because the quarterback play and the pace of play is going to drastically increase, right? Their efficiency is going to drastically increase when you go from Mason to a Ben Roethlisberger. So Roethlisberger, like I said, are you going to pay the 90th pick for Josh Allen? I think that that's fine. But I think Ben Roethlisberger is the 18th quarterback off the board, has as much opportunity to finish as a QB1 as anybody in that range, right? So there's upside that's tied to him. He could throw for over 30 touchdowns, 4,000 yards. Uh, he does have the talent on that offense, and he's entirely too cheap right now, and you can pair him easily with Johnson. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, not very expensive either. He's my favorite. Those, that's my favorite low priced stack i would say what about the other way anybody that's due maybe for a regression that's getting drafted maybe a little bit too high because of something they built last year that you don't think they can sustain i mean and i hate to say this because i love the kid it's it's austin eckler and as i mean i love the story if you've never read his draft story go look that up there was a great article on espn uh about he was an undrafted free agent and how he stood out in these workouts and everything else Uh, and what he did and what he means to his family, all those sorts of things. And he's a great kid in the community here in Los Angeles as well. But I think that he's being overdrafted based on us, the fantasy football community, projecting what we want him to be in terms of his volume, when the reality is he may not be that guy with this coaching staff. Now, there's hope because Buffalo's old offensive coordinator from the Tyrod Taylor, LaShawn McCoy days, is now the Chargers offensive coordinator, and so people are saying that he may see 300 touches this year because Melvin Gordon is now gone and right. he's got a rookie in Jackson uh, that might split some of the carries there. If he gets 18 touches a game, I think he's a running back one. He's one of the top 12 running backs in the league. The problem is there's very real paths to him not getting that. So, again, the difference between his floor and his ceiling is very – it's too massive for the price you're going to have to pay for him. 
and the price that people are paying right now is he's, a, he's being drafted as an RB1, so there's not that much upside, and he's the 17th overall pick. So you're drafting in the middle of the second round, and there's a possibility that he may repay you with a fifth or a sixth round draft uh, price by the end of the season by no fault of his own. By not, not by his talent, but the possibility that they just want to run running back by committee and they see him as a guy who can't carry the ball or touch the ball 22-plus times a game. All right, so last one here. Tell me your thoughts on Lamar Jackson after that just monster season he had last year. Now, teams will have a year to kind of look into it. Look, the way that the Bills played him, they shut him down pretty good here, and then Tennessee said, we basically used that formula. They did a nice job on him until late in the game when he he cleaned up a little bit. He got some yards, but there may be, maybe, Al, a little bit of a blueprint here. What's your feelings on Lamar Jackson after the monster season? I mean, it's hard to use the Bills as a blueprint for how to stop a team because the Bills are just so talented on right. defense, right? Like at every level. Mm-hmm. So teams are definitely going to mimic that scheme, but I don't know if they're going to have the personnel to pull it off. Good point. The Bulls do, the, the Bills do. They're just so fast mm-hmm. and so aggressive defensively, and they're so talented. It's one of the best defenses in the league. So, yes, teams are going to try to do that, but whether they can or not, I don't know. The thing that I think will regress, and this is the problem, again, we have to educate the public. When I say that I think Lamar Jackson will regress – I mean in terms of his touchdown percent rate. That means he threw a touchdown on 9% of his attempts last year. That's absurd. Russ Wilson and uh, Aaron Rodgers, two of the most efficient quarterbacks of all time, and the two most efficient of, let's say, the last 25 years. And they only throw touchdowns career on like 6% of their passes. So Lamar Jackson is going to break the NFL – and maintain this 9% touchdown rate for the rest of his career, or he's going to fall to something more reasonable like 55 or 6% and still be one of the most efficient quarterbacks ever, right? <laughs> so even a regression puts him in the top tier. Yes, it doesn't mean I don't like Lamar Jackson. Right, right. It just means I don't think he's going to throw for five touchdowns <laughs> on 18 attempts very often. Right, I totally get that. Or as often as he did last year. So. Uh, I think he's going to regress in terms of his uh, his efficiency as a passer. I think what separates him and makes him more valuable, obviously, for fantasy, is his ability to just pile up points and give you a massive floor with his legs. His ability to get you 80, 90 yards on the ground with a very real possibility of a touchdown. You're now talking about 15 fantasy points before he throws a pass. Uh, and that's even if the if, if the efficiency regresses, you're still talking about a 25, 26 fantasy point-of-game quarterback if he only averages 10 or 12 with his arm. So I think he's still fine. I just don't think that touchdown rate sustains. All right, buddy. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, man. Lots of good fantasy insight. Uh, I During football season, I stream a lot on Twitch. I obviously put out a lot of YouTube content as well. It's uh, at Al Smizzle, uh, <laughs> Al underscore Smizzle on Twitch, at A. Zeidenfeld on YouTube. Uh, and everywhere else, social media is at Al Zeidenfeld. So couldn't get all the same handles. I tried to as best as I could. So just search for Al Smizzle or Al Zeidenfeld, <laughs> and you'll find me. Hey, uh, always good to talk to you. So happy and proud of all your success, buddy. Keep it up, and um, enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. Thanks, Al. You too, man. Okay, thanks a lot. That is Al Zeidenfeld. And, uh, yeah, we go way back. We were at Syracuse together. We used to play in these fantasy leagues. Everything. We were in a hockey league. 
fantasy football, obviously. We were in basketball. We did everything, baseball. And now he's made a career out of it, and it's happy to see. And it's good to see, I should say, and I'm happy for him. You can follow him on Twitter at Al Zeidenfeld. Uh, we tweeted out his account on the WGR account and mine as well as far as when we said we were having him on. And guess we got to get to a break. I am late to it, but that's okay today because I'm just trying to fill as much content for five hours as I can. I'm here until 3 p.m. on WGR. Feeling in the room, and and when we went to Laramie, we brought our owners with us just to see how he's around owners, how's he around us, and was amazed at how comfortable he was in his skin. And you just felt it. We went to a restaurant in Laramie, and Josh was just super nice to the host. You could tell he'd been there before, but he's not walking in there like I'm the best thing since sliced bread. He's talking to every single person from the hostess, and just genuine dude. Took him to lunch after the workout the next day. Uh, it was the same thing, and again, then brought him to Buffalo, and you know everything about him. You know, screen leadership. And I think if you ask the guys on our team, whether they're on the offensive side or the defensive side, I haven't found anybody that just doesn't love who Josh Allen is on and off the field. Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean. It's just, you know, listening to that, he was on the Pat McAfee show. That's where that's from. Listening to that reminds me of a lot of things I've kind of learned about you know, every NFL team, the way they do that, but especially I know the Bills and how they do it, which is they're always evaluating in every situation that they're around a guy or not around a guy, basically. Even, like, at the Senior Bowl when I asked him about this and he said, look, you know, we we have times, you know, we want to meet with guys and we may text them. Even, like, how long it takes that guy to get back to you or if he's giving you the runaround, you got to chase him around, like, those things matter. Now, of course, he's not saying he needs to get back to us within three minutes. Nothing like that. What I'm saying is, if it's always like, oh, I got to do this or that, or, hey, why haven't we heard back from this guy? He told us he's going to get back with us, you know, in an hour, something like that. And all those things matter. How the guy carries himself, the player walking into a building, greeting people, talking with people, all those kinds of things. And right there, he's given an example of Josh Allen at a restaurant. They go out, they eat dinner, the way he treats the host, the way he walks in and he's respectful to everybody. He's not trying to act like, hey, I'm Josh Allen and I'm here and I'm the big quarterback at Wyoming. But whether you agree or disagree with all those things being part of the equation, they are a part of the equation. And it means a lot to this regime and this front office to really dig in on guys like that. And does that mean that you're going to sacrifice talent all the time? No. Being a good football player is obviously first. You're not going to draft somebody who's not, who you don't think can help you win. But all those things matter to, if I may, the culture of what you're trying to build. And you, they believe that those things lead to having better work habits, respecting your fellow teammates, respecting your coaches, understanding what the goals are, being a good teammate, not being selfish. All of those things matter as the little things that add up to what can Help you be the best version of yourself, as Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have said many times. The best version of yourself. Why should you come to Buffalo? Well, because if you come here, we're going to make you the best version of yourself. We've heard that. And I just wrote an article yesterday at WGR550.com on Quentin Jefferson and what he said as far as coming to Buffalo. Now, Quentin Jefferson had played for the Seattle Seahawks for the last four years. He was considered a young ascending player. And... A lot of people believed that the Seahawks would resign him. They did not. He became a free agent. The Bills signed him. And talking with him on a Zoom conference call yesterday, he said 
that he wanted to play for a good organization. He said he wanted to play with a good defensive line and talent. But what he also said was that he wanted to come to a place that had people who made football fun and they had like everything together, so to speak, right? They, 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 the way they ran their meetings even. And he, and he compared it to Seattle. He said, hey, the way we did it in Seattle it was top-notch. I really liked it. I needed a place like that. And then now he also said he's on these virtual meetings with his defensive teammates and his defensive coaches, and he's super impressed about like how smart everybody is. And they're all dialed in, and they understand what's going on. But my point is, he says these things, and in a manner of speaking, in a manner of way, some phrases and words that he said, pretty much everybody that's signed with the team has said these kinds of things. It's been three years now with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. A little more for Sean because he was here in January. Brandon Bean was hired in what, May? End of May? Early June? But so, you know, he, he got here five months before, but it's been three years for these guys together now, for both of them. And for three and a half years for Sean McDermott, really. By now... You know, that's, that's, think about it this way. Sean McDermott's tenure in Buffalo as head coach has now basically lasted as long as the average tenure of any player's career. That's, that's what it is. Now, we could say he's only the second coach since Marv Levy to be going into a fourth season. I believe that's the case. I think Dick Geron was the other. So, you know, it it hasn't been that long, but really in terms of how long it takes you to make an impression and an impact and people to know who you are around the league, he's been here long enough for that. And Quentin Jefferson basically said that because when he says that was one quote, that was one of the biggest things I had seen from Buffalo. I just hear other players talking about it. It's a great place with a great fan base with just good energy and just playing good football and winning. And again, yes, can this be player speak? Can it be coach speak? Do people say things all the time to pump up where they're going and say how much they love it and love the fans and all that? Yes. But I do believe, I really do believe that the impression that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have made in three years from Bean and three and a half years from McDermott, they've been here long enough now that the book is out on them around the league. And it's a good book. And others are paying attention. Others are noticing. Guys have come and gone. They've left this organization. You know, as opposed to the Sabres, by the way, who we have seen and we have heard players leave the Sabres over the last several seasons and basically kind of kick them on the way out the door or in a subsequent interview kick them and say, when I was there, it was bad, I didn't like it, this was bad, this was wrong, whatever. We've heard a few of those things. Robin Leonard was one of them. There was a couple along the way that that, that happened with. I I don't think anybody's done that with the Bills. I don't think anybody in, in this roster has really turned over. Now, it turned over more so when you know people were here under Rex and then they weren't here under Sean McDermott, but this roster has turned over enough in three years now, in three and a half years under Sean McDermott, that you would think that you might have a player or two come out and kind of kicking them on the way out. That's not the case. The, the most thing you might get is a guy like Shaq Lawson saying, I really wanted them to pay me. They didn't pay me. So now I'm going to have to put my best, you know, my best on tape 
to be a free agent and subsequently has a nice year and he gets paid. But I never heard him say anything bad about the organization, anything bad about Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean or the front office. And in three and a half years they've been here, it seems to me like they have a very good reputation around the league. This is helping them acquire talent and free agents. Now, we could talk about Antonio Brown and say, well, he didn't want to come to Buffalo. I think that's a little bit of an isolated case, and we don't even really know the exact extent to all of the things that went into that. You know, the Bills, it was reported they'd made the trade, but that's really not the case. It never really got to the point where they formalized a trade anyway or, you know, had that agreement in place. So I'm not even counting that, and he's he's a way different guy anyway, right? Stephon Diggs gets traded. He says... Yeah, I'm excited to come to Buffalo now, but I'm not talking even about those guys. I'm just talking about the general feeling around the league and the book on this regime and organization. It has changed dramatically. Now, I'll also tell you, Rex Ryan had a lot of support from players around the league because he's a player's coach. But I would th- I th- I would tell you because I've I've actually talked with players who have who did play under Rex Ryan and were here during that time. The, the two things that were said, one, really good about Rex Ryan when he was the head coach, he knows football. Like, I will tell you, anybody who played for Rex Ryan that I've spoken to has, has said to me, like, the guy is very smart. He knows football. But the other thing they'll back that up with is super unorganized and not, not really a leader as far as, like, a leader as far as a rah-rah leader, but not a leader as far as steering a ship and being showing leadership, right? I think Sean McDermott is totally different in that regard. He's not the quote-unquote players coach that Rex Ryan is because he's this guy that just, everybody just, oh, I got to go play for that guy, Rex Ryan. He loves him. I'm going to do this and that. I think he has his own way of treating players with respect in his own right and is liked by his players. But it's really the leadership that comes in. And it circles back to how I started this, which is, you listen to every player who comes into Buffalo now as a free agent. And a lot of times you're hearing, I've heard from other players. I talked to this guy. I talked to that guy. And it's always good. And you don't hear players leaving here trashing the organization. And I think it's a really good spot to be in. And, and we're fortunate here in Buffalo. And I think that's a big reason why they built what they have They're considered to have a really good roster, which I want to talk about on the other side of this break. Let's do that. Let's take a timeout. And when I come back, I I heard Albert Breer. Actually, you know what? Maybe I can have Joe or Brayton, now that Joe's here, maybe I can have them find the clip from this morning. Albert Breer said something really interesting about the Bills and their roster that I want to talk about. I just talked about coaching and front office. Let me talk about their roster when we come back. And then at the top of the hour, that'll dovetail into Nick Shook of Next Gen Stats and Stefan Diggs. We'll do all that when we come back on WGR. All right, we're going to have Nick Shook of NFL.com, Next Gen Stats coming up. And one of the things we're going to talk about is Stefan Diggs. Big infusion of talent with Stefan Diggs to the Bills offense. He did some Next Gen Stats and had Stefan rated as the number three pass catcher in the league, but that really goes to the heart of what I want to play for you here. This is this morning. This is really cool, I think, and you should do this exercise. Albert Breer says do this exercise. Albert Breer of NFL.com was um, on with, of the NFL Network too, on with Howard and Jeremy this morning, and listen to what he said about the Bills in the AFC East. This is interesting. If you 
took the Southern best players on each of the teams in the AFC East and you know, lined them up against each other, just you know, made lists. I think you'd find that Bills have the best group. You take the quarterbacks out of it, like Tredavious White, Tremaine Edmonds, Ned Oliver, Stephon Diggs. It's a talented roster now. It's Sean McDermott and Brandon being built. And so I think the Bills should be the favorite. I think there's pressure on the other three teams in the AFC East now and that Brady's gone to sort of step up and compete for a division that's been non-competitive for a very, very long time. That's Albert Breer this morning with Howard and Jeremy. Find it on demand, WGR550.com. So listen, I'm going to take a step aside now. We're going to get to Nick Shook, Next Gen Stats, but in the break, maybe start to do this. I think it's an interesting exercise. He said, take the seven or eight best players on each team in the AFC East. So you got Patriots, seven or eight best. Let's just say eight best. Patriots, Bills, Jets, Dolphins. And out of that group, all right, you're going to have 32 players. How many are Bills? And I think he's right. You're going to find a lot of Bills on that list. So we'll get with Nick Shook about the impact of Stefan Diggs on the Bills through some next-gen stats while we do that. And I want you to do that exercise as well. When we come back here on WGR, we'll talk about it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 